If you're joining us for the first time, uh, we've been working our way through one line of scripture or a section of the New Testament uh, called Galatians. It's uh, this letter that was written by uh, a man named Paul. You might know him as the Apostle Paul or St. Paul. Um, Paul had started several churches after Jesus' death and resurrection, and he had assisted other congregations that had already been established. And now he's writing to these churches in this region called Galatia, which we know today as modern-day Turkey, right? And that's significant for us, right? Yeah. Oh, by the way, thank you to those of you who came out Tuesday night uh, to hear from Josh and Sarah and their work in in uh, Turkey. And uh, they have been back now for four years. So it was great to catch up and to hear about the, one of the most positive and at risk of overstating it, inspiring updates we've heard from them in the 20 years we've been supporting them. So great things happening in Turkey. We had 42 people here uh, for that update from three different churches. So thank you for supporting that and for supporting Josh and Sarah in Turkey. So anyway, in this letter that Paul's writing, he's trying to help his readers cultivate space for God through the Holy Spirit to grow uh, some of these attributes in their lives. So all the way back in part one, I mentioned that one of the things that I'm excited about is that you're going to hear from some people that you haven't had a chance to hear from yet. And these are people who are growing in their influence in our church. Uh, they're already contributing to the culture and the vision of our church and the values of our church. A group of people that were being uh, intentional about both pouring into as they grow into their leadership uh, we, we're going to be doing some mentoring and coaching as they expand their influence and giving them opportunities then to pour into you as well because we know that in the church, your influence grows exponentially when you have a chance to teach um, in the Sunday gathering on a regular basis. So we've said it's kind of a new day at Faith Community. We're really excited about growing our teaching team here on Sundays. We have six people who've committed to this process of engaging in intentional, frequent focused, thoughtful conversations about church culture, about our teaching, about our vision for the future. So back in uh, June, you got to hear Amanda Elliott teach for the first time. She taught on peace as a part of this fruitful series. Uh, back in July, Aaron Francis teamed up with me to teach on kindness. Then a couple weeks ago, Josh Young taught on goodness. And Josh has been teaching here occasionally for a few years now. And he and his wife, Megan, serve as elders, and they lead our ministry to middle schoolers, the, what we call JVC, uh, J FC. FCF, wow, that was JVC, that's something different. FCF Youth JV. There's a lot of, uh, lot of stuff going on there. Just a few months ago, uh, Megan teamed up with Josh to teach in a really, what was really a memorable and significant message about the God who sees. How many of you remember that message? How many remember what I preached on last week? That's what I thought. So if you, if you, <laughs> it's okay. If you missed that, you can find it on our website and in our podcast feed back on April the 3rd. I really encourage you to go listen to that. I have so much appreciation for this team, for their commitment to the process, their thoughtful study, and all the writing they're doing. And I think you know it's no small thing to get up here and talk and present meaningful content in a clear and thoughtful way for 30 or 35 minutes. So I'm grateful to them for stepping outside of their comfort zones to begin to explore this new responsibility of teaching to our church. So today, Megan's going to teach, and I simply am going to ask you to, again, that you would give the same kind of respectful attention to her that you've given to me and Pastor Bob over all these years. And for this whole teaching team, you can just have confidence in, in what they're teaching uh, because we aren't just looking for people who are naturally gifted speakers with dynamic personalities and fine-tuned communication skills. We feel like we've identified six people who have a heart for the church, a desire to fulfill their God-given potential, a willingness to develop some new skills in order to communicate a life-giving message, and a grand vision for what the church and what our church 
can be as we live our lives in our community. So we've been reading from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where Paul says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And throughout this series, we've been saying every week that this is not a to-do list. That It's not a to-do list that we have to figure out how to make ourselves more loving, more patient, more faithful, we more good or gooder or betterer or whatever that word would be. We've gotten, this, like, we've gotten this so wrong in the church for so long that we're just repeating this every week. This is not a to-do list. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's what he wants to produce in our lives. But you and I do have a role to play. It is our responsibility to cultivate the type of soil or the type of character in our heart that actually grows good fruit in our lives. And we can either help or hinder in this process. So, so far in this series, which you can find in audio on our podcast feed and on video on our multimedia player at faithcommunityfellowship.com, so far we've covered love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, which means we're, we're winding down, but today we're landing on gentleness. So here's Megan with today's teaching. So today, as Todd said, we get to lean into the eighth fruit of the Spirit, which is gentleness. Here are some of the things that came to my mind when I thought about gentleness. A newborn baby. We all know that we need to be gentle with babies. Next one's a butterfly. It's a creature that needs to be treated gently. And what about this one? An archaeologist who is painstakingly uncovering some ancient artifact and how gentle they have to be in that process. In thinking about these three items, we begin to see what gentleness might look like. These items are delicate and they have great value, or they could be both delicate and valuable. So perhaps we could define gentleness by how we treat an item that has great value or that is delicate in nature. That could be a start, but I believe the Bible teaches us that gentleness is more than that. We will come back to these pictures in a few minutes when we talk about what is the best definition for gentleness. First, let's see what the Bible has to say about gentleness. You may have a translation of the Bible that uses the term meekness instead of gentleness in this list of the fruit of the Spirit. Some translations use the term meekness interchangeably with gentleness. In Psalms 37.11, we read, The meek shall inherit the earth. And in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus preaches to the people sitting on the hillside by the Sea of Galilee, who are under the reign of Caesar. Caesar rules them with an iron fist, using force to control the people. Jesus reminds them that this is only temporary, and quotes the same verse from Psalms, It is the meek that shall inherit the earth. He's encouraging them to show meekness to their ruler in the present for a future reward. According to the dictionary, meekness is a mild, moderate, humble, or submissive quality. This sounds like a pretty good definition, but we're gonna keep digging. You may be familiar with the verse Proverbs 15.1. In the New International Version, it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Then, a few verses down in verse 4, we read, Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Another verse about what we say is James 1.19. It doesn't use the word gentleness, but it gives more direction on how we speak, and it definitely sounds like gentleness. It says, 
Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. These verses sound good, don't they? They sound like how we want to be spoken to. I don't know anyone who likes to hear angry words, especially from those we care about. But since we are all burdened by our sin nature, gentleness is not our default mode. Everywhere we turn, there is something or someone that is harsh. It's easy to be harsh when someone speaks to you harshly. It could be your coworker, your boss, a customer, or even a random stranger. Or you could have a harsh reaction to something, like when someone cuts you off in traffic. Hello, summer in Maine. Or if your spouse or your kids give you a sharp answer. Or if your feelings are unexpectedly hurt by someone that you care about. Responding to harshness with harshness is the easiest response. But we have seen in these verses that we have instructions about how to respond with gentleness. Carrie Newhoff has this to say, you can carry your convictions without destroying your opponents. Disagreeing with another person never justifies destroying another person. I really appreciate his point here. So many people respond to disagreements with anger, harsh words, or even violence. But we are given instructions to respond in gentleness. We don't need to destroy someone just because we don't agree with them. This goes against our nature, but it is what God wants for us. So when we live out these verses, gentleness becomes our witness to a generally harsh world. Gentle words do something that harsh words do not. They soften the hearer. How we respond in these harsh situations is our witness because gentleness stands out. It's unexpected. It deflects anger and gives people pause. As you begin to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you with gentleness, pay attention to how people respond. You might be surprised to see how your gentleness can diffuse a situation. When you have the Spirit in you, you don't need to engage with a harsh response in those situations. Gentleness calls us to a soft or sometimes even no answer. By displaying gentleness in these situations, we are expressing God's grace. We are demonstrating to people that even in this harsh world, there is room for grace for exhibiting all the fruit of the Spirit. Doesn't gentleness look a lot like love and peace and kindness? Gentleness isn't just about angry words or harsh situations, though. I'm sure most of you would agree that life in general can be chaotic at times. Life could use a dose of gentleness. If you're a parent or a teacher or have been around kids for any amount of time, you've likely experienced a time when children were loud, way too loud for the given situation. What's your first response? Is it to raise your voice and be heard over the chaos? That's my first instinct. Or have you ever tried getting quieter? You would think that this would be counterintuitive, that you would need to be louder to rise above the noise and be heard. But as a teacher, I've seen this work, a soft, if you can hear me, put your hands on your head. Starts a chain reaction. The few that heard you the first time follow the direction. 
And then others start to notice that they have to be quiet to hear your next direction. A gentle approach breaks through the chaos and softens it. The Bible shows us that even God sometimes chooses to respond with gentleness in the midst of great chaos. In an encounter with the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19, verses 11 through 12, we read, Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told them. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were knocked torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Despite the great power shown through these three destructive and chaotic natural events, God chose to show himself to Elijah through a gentle whisper. So far, we've seen that there are several sides to gentleness. There's meekness, mild, moderate, humble, and submissive. There's control and softness with our words. And there's calm in the midst of chaos. Now let's go back and look at those pictures again. Do you notice something? In each of these pictures, there's one thing in common. Does anybody know what it is? Hands. hands. It's somebody's hands. Someone is cradling the baby. Someone is holding the butterfly. Someone is using the brush. Someone is being gentle. The baby, the butterfly, and the artifact are all delicate in their own ways, and they are in need of protection. In each of these instances, Someone's hands are protecting the delicate objects. If the hands can protect, that means they can also choose to not provide protection and to even inflict harm. So there is power in those hands to be gentle or to destroy. What does that teach us about gentleness? I think a lot of people, when they hear the term gentleness, even with the definitions we have already given, they think of weakness. Someone that doesn't speak up, doesn't fight back, doesn't take action. Although there are times that we should speak up, fight back, or take action. I believe that there are also many times that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to help us control our reactions, to think before we speak, to stand down just like those verses instructed. Again, this sounds like weakness, but it's actually strength. It takes strength to hold back the harsh answer or to bring peace into chaos. Think about it this way. Have you ever said that you had to bite your tongue in a conversation? What does that mean? It means that you've had to summon up the strength to stop yourself from the negativity. You had the power to use harsh and angry words, but you chose not to. When you are relying on the Holy Spirit for strength, you are exhibiting the fruit of gentleness. It's his strength in you. So here we discover the definition of gentleness. It does not equate to weakness, 
Rather, it is strength under control, specifically control of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again for you. Gentleness is not weakness. What it is, is strength under control of the Holy Spirit. Think about a person that looks rough and tough, perhaps a biker or an athlete. Have you ever been surprised when someone tells you that they may look tough, but they're really just a big teddy bear? They usually aren't saying that person is weak or soft, but rather that they control their great strength and display it in a gentle way. Here's an example of this type of person from a poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow called The Village Blacksmith. This poem paints a picture of a man who is both strong and gentle. Listen first to the description of his strength and try to picture him. Under a spreading chestnut tree, the village smithy stands. The smith, a mighty man is he, with large and sinewy hands. And the muscles of his brawny arms are strong as iron bands. His hair is crisp and black and long. His face is like the tan. His brow is wet with honest sweat. He earns what air he can. And looks the whole world in the face, for he owes not any man. Could you picture this man? Longfellow uses words like mighty, large, muscles, brawny, and iron to describe him. These terms definitely paint a picture of strength. The poem continues on, and then Longfellow describes this scene. He goes on Sunday to the church and sits among his boys. He hears the parson pray and preach. He hears his daughter's voice singing in the village choir, and it makes his heart rejoice. It sounds to him like her mother's voice, singing in paradise. He needs must think of her once more, how in the grave she lies, and with his hard, rough hands, he wipes a tear out of his eyes. This is a strong man. He is also a gentleman. The picture is one in the same. The blacksmith is not weak because of his emotions. He's tempered the strength of his emotions and is willing to display them in front of his family and friends. Just like the blacksmith, we all have some sort of power. It may not be physical power, but as we've seen, it could be power in our words or in our actions. God has given each of us influence in the world. He wants us to use that influence for the good of others. In the New Testament, we find an example of a man with great strength, power, and influence. And it's one of my favorite men in scripture, Paul. In 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth and says, Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. If you know much Bible history, you know that prior to this, when known as Saul, Paul was anything but gentle. The Bible accounts his vicious acts toward the Jewish people. In verse 3 of Acts chapter 8, we're told, Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And then continuing in Acts 9.1, we read, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. 
There was a lot of strength being demonstrated by Saul, but he was using his strength, power, and influence to destroy. That all changed on his way to Damascus when Saul encountered Jesus. What happened in this encounter was so transformative that Saul had to become Paul. He had to shed his old identity. There was no doubt that who he had been and what he had done was gone. Saul was no more, and now Paul was made new. A few verses later, starting in Acts 9, verses 19 and 20, we hear a description of what changed. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? How was such a radical and immediate change even possible? Because in this encounter with God, Paul received new life and the power of the Holy Spirit. He would later list all the qualities that the Spirit empowers believers with in a letter to the Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. After his conversion, Paul repeatedly admonished the believers in the churches and his fellow workers to be gentle. After encouraging the Galatians with the list of the fruit of the Spirit, he told them in chapter 6, verse 1, that if a believer was in sin, they should be restored gently. Paul knew that harshly criticizing those living in sin wasn't going to win them over. It would be a gentle conversation that would show love. When he wrote to Titus, he reminded him to share the message that the believers must not slander anyone and avoid quarreling. Instead, they were to be gentle, Titus 3.2. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is giving qualifications for church leadership, and in verse 3, he instructs that leaders must be gentle. In his second letter to Timothy, he gave similar instructions to avoid quarreling and show kindness. He says that servants of the Lord should gently instruct those that oppose the truth, 2 Timothy 2, 24-25. Why does he say this? Because perhaps God will change those, who's, change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Paul tells believers in Ephesus to be humble, gentle, and patient in Ephesians 4, 2. In Philippians 4, 5, Paul tells the people to let their gentleness be evident to all. Other New Testament writers also call us to gentleness. Peter praises the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in 1 Peter 3, 4, and tells us to share our faith in a gentle and respectful way in 1 Peter 3, 16. James says that God's wisdom is gentle at all times. James 3.17. In these verses, gentleness is never presented as weakness. Instead, they show how strength under control is the best way to show God's love to those we interact with on a daily basis. We've talked a lot about what the Bible says about expressing gentleness, when and how to speak or not, how and why we should show gentleness to others. But of course, we can't talk about gentleness without talking about the one who is the perfect picture 
of gentleness for us, Christ. Jesus embodied all nine of the fruit of the Spirit because he depended on the power of the Spirit every moment. Isaiah foretold the kind of man he would be. Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 says, Look at my servant, that's Jesus, whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. This is the picture of a gentle man. Isaiah also tells us in chapter 40, verse 11, that he, the coming Messiah, will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Jesus himself tells the people that he will treat them gently. He tells them, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When he rides into Jerusalem, the Bible says, See, your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey. Matthew 21, 5. We not only hear him described as gentle and read his words that speak of gentleness, we see it in his interactions with people. I think my favorite example of Jesus' gentleness is with the woman caught in adultery. Let's read that account and think about Jesus' response. We read starting in John chapter 8, verse 3. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? So here, Jesus has been teaching in the temple. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought this woman to him. Levitical law said that she should be stoned. Here was what they thought, the perfect chance to trap Jesus. Would he respond in anger toward her sin? She was caught in the act of adultery. She had been whisked away to be brought before Jesus, and I'm sure they didn't waste any time letting her get dressed. Perhaps she was merely wrapped in a blanket, her sin obvious to everyone that they passed by. But just in case it wasn't obvious, they interrupted his message in the temple to announce to Jesus that she was caught in adultery. Then they reminded him that the law of Moses said that she should be stoned. Here was their chance. Would he obey the law and order her stoned? Jesus knew that this was a trap, and he wasn't going to play their game. So here's Jesus, surrounded by the crowds he had been teaching in the temple, the religious leaders, Pharisees, and before him is a broken and hurting woman. Tensions are high. This isn't your run-of-the-mill church service. The leaders have interrupted his teaching to demand an answer, to force him into action, and I'm sure his mind was swirling with thoughts. He was feeling some real feelings about this situation. Was he upset? Angry? Irritated? He could have been any or all of those things. Although he is God, he experienced the same real emotions like you and I do. 
His human emotions, like ours, were not good or bad. They simply were. When we have an emotional reaction to a situation, we make a choice as to what our action will be. We can fly off the handle and lash out in anger. We can shut down and retreat. Just like Jesus, we don't decide which feelings we're going to feel in a given situation, but we do choose our response, and we have the power to make it positive or negative. Jesus was relying on the Holy Spirit to guide him, so watch what he does next. Verse 6 says, They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. There's speculation as to what he was writing. I think if it mattered what he wrote, we would have been told. Since we aren't, I think the point is not in what he wrote, but in what he did. He stopped. He didn't feed into the tension or the negativity. He kept quiet and delayed his response. He didn't let his emotions take control. Perhaps he even prayed over his response and thought about those verses that we read earlier from Proverbs about our words. The story goes on in verse 7. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. I don't think he raised his voice to say this. I don't think he yelled it out over the crowd. I can picture this as a very matter-of-fact, gently spoken statement. This woman knew her sin. She felt the shame. She likely had resigned herself to her fate and was just waiting for that first rock to hit. Instead, what she hears is Jesus' gentle admonition to the crowd that to throw a stone at her, they must themselves be without sin. Then back to writing in the dust, he goes. In verse 9, we see the result of Jesus' gentle answer. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Gentleness dispersed the angry crowd. The soft answer turned away wrath. His gentle answer was unexpected, and it definitely stood out. I love this example for us. How often does something upset us and we immediately lash out with a quick response? What would it look like if we took a moment to pause like Jesus and write in the dust, to gather our thoughts, to temper our reaction after taking that moment to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Think about what those on the receiving end of your response might see and feel. And then Jesus spoke to the woman. In verse 10, it says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. He was the only one who could pronounce condemnation on this woman. He had every right to cast that stone, to punish her for her sin, but he didn't. He forgave her sin. He didn't tell her that what she had done was okay. He spoke the truth into her heart with love and gentleness. He chose to demonstrate gentleness through displaying his power in the form of compassion 
for a woman who deserved punishment. Instead, she received forgiveness and instruction to turn her life around. Jesus demonstrated gentleness because it was a part of who he is. Yet, he still took a moment in this situation to pause and listen to the Holy Spirit. He took the time to respond gently, and we can learn to do the same. It doesn't come naturally or easily to us, but just like all of the fruit of the Spirit, it can be cultivated over time until it becomes a part of who we are too. Oftentimes, home is where it's hardest to show gentleness. Home is our comfortable place, our place where we can just be ourselves. The problem with that is that we have that sin nature, and unless we are actively allowing the Spirit to work in us, ourselves can be not particularly pleasant to be around sometimes. So here's some raw, painful honesty. I never planned to be a mom that yelled at my kids. But there's something about raising smaller versions of yourself that can bring out the worst in you and make you forget all the things you promised yourself you'd never do. Several years ago, I realized that my reaction to my kids doing something wrong was often to raise my voice and sometimes to yell. And most of the time, it was for things that were genuine accidents, a spilled drink, a careless act, a misheard direction. God began to speak to my heart. I saw how my reactions were affecting my family, and I didn't want to be remembered as a mom who yelled. I still struggle with controlling my reactions, but I continue to ask God to help me show gentleness to my kids. I remember a particular day where I allowed God's spirit to take control and was able to respond in gentleness. I had a favorite coffee mug, and you can probably see where this is going. One day, Cole was throwing something around and knocked my mug off the table. He got that, oh no, look on his face, anticipating an angry reaction from mom. Inside, I was so upset that my favorite mug was broken, and I really wanted to raise my voice and let him know just how upset I was. Instead, I listened to the prompting of the spirit, and I chose gentleness. I looked at him, I took a deep breath, and I said, it's okay, accidents happen. Without raising my voice, I asked him to be more careful and follow the rules of no throwing things in the house. I picked up the pieces, documented my loss with this picture in a text to Josh, and went on with my day. I don't know if Cole even remembers that, but I do. I remember that feeling of knowing that my child received a gentle response for something that realistically would not matter the next day, the next week, or the next year. And just like the sharp edges of the mug, my harsh words could have cut deep. The Holy Spirit worked to soften what could have ended in an emotional wound for my child. And just like God, about six months later, I found this exact mug in a little shop while on vacation. Of course, I bought it. And it's a constant reminder that of that day that I allowed the Holy Spirit to work and how he can and will gently restore all that is broken. As I said before, I'm still working on this, but I know that a gentle response is what God wants from me. I'm thankful that it's also what he gives to me when I do mess up. If God is willing to give us gentleness when we mess up, it's important for us to remember that we should afford ourselves the same gentleness. It's easy to criticize ourselves when we don't do or say the right thing. Yes, we need to acknowledge our failings and work to make the right choice the next time, 
but we're never going to get it right 100% of the time. When we fail, we don't need to beat ourselves up. We can remember that if God is willing to be gentle with us, we can be gentle on ourselves. Aaron spoke to us about this same idea with kindness, that we should treat ourselves the way that we treat others. Through God's great grace, we can be gentle on ourselves when we fail. So we've talked about what gentleness is, strength under control. We've talked about what gentleness is not. It is not weakness. We've talked about how some directions, about some directions to us on when and how to show gentleness. We've talked about how Jesus embodied gentleness during his time on earth. Now I wanted to share something that might help you in thinking about what living out this fruit looks like. At the end of the list of the fruit of the Spirit, verse 23 continues with this little phrase, there's no law against these things. Let's think about it this way. Laws are made to keep us safe, to maintain order, and to ensure our rights. In the Old Testament, the law gave the people a way to be made right with God. If you followed the law, you would have God's blessing. Josh talked about this when he spoke on goodness. Because of our sin nature, we can never be good enough to fulfill these laws. Laws by nature impose limits, usually on things that you cannot do. But in this verse in Galatians, we see there is no limit to how much we can exhibit these fruit in our lives. It says there is no law or limit against them. We can never show too much love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. It's ours for the asking. God doesn't have fruit police that are going to call us out on showing too much love to our neighbor or on having too much patience with our kids or in showing too much kindness to someone in need. So as you think about this list of nine attributes today, specifically the fruit of gentleness, what would it look like for you and those around you if you had the power to live your life with an unlimited amount of each of these things in it? Then remember that we do have that power when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Tim Keller said this, the spirit-fueled development of Christ-like character is liberating because it brings us closer to being the people we were designed to be, the people our spirit-renewed hearts want us to be. Giving the Holy Spirit control of our lives doesn't confine us to a life of rule-following. It sets us apart in the best ways. It allows us to influence the world and show a little glimpse of what God originally intended for us. Jesus' gentleness made him approachable. Just like the woman caught in adultery, we have all sinned. We've messed up. We've fallen short. And it's not easy to think about our failings, but it's in acknowledging these failings that we realize our need for a Savior. Our Savior is gentle. He doesn't come at us with stones. He has unlimited power, but he wields it with gentleness. He has demonstrated over and over that he's approachable. The Holy Spirit is given freely to anyone who has chosen a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you haven't made that decision, I encourage you today to consider what you have to gain by accepting the free gift of salvation and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. With him, not only are you equipped to demonstrate gentleness, but also love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control without limit. If you're in need of some gentle love from the Savior today, I encourage you, as we move into a time of prayer, 
to listen to what he is gently speaking to your heart. Perhaps he is calling you to pursue a personal relationship with him or to demonstrate gentleness in a specific situation in your life. Or maybe it's just a gentle nudge to allow his spirit to have unlimited control in your life. There are no fancy words or special phrases required. Respond to his gentle tug on your heart by talking to him in prayer. If you want guidance on how to do that, feel free to make your way back to the prayer space where one of our volunteers can lead you in prayer. Or use that space to pray quietly by yourself or with a friend. As I close, I encourage you to lean into whatever God is gently speaking to you. Allow him to work through you to demonstrate the power of gentleness to the world around you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that those listening are hearing your gentle voice speaking to them. Help us to remember that your spirit gives us power to control our words and our actions, and that in doing so, we are not weak, but actually incredibly strong. Help us to be what this harsh world needs. Help us to be a soft place for those that are hurting. Thank you that you lived this out in your interactions while you were here on earth, and you continue to show gentleness as we go through life and fail time and again. Help us to continue to allow your Holy Spirit to work through us to exhibit the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Thank you for your gentle love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.